0: it's not a competition we have actually done as much as is humanly possible the issue is we need more vaccine we need more Pfizer more and more Pfizer, Pfizer is going vaccine. out to all of the states and territories after 10 weeks of lockdown with cases still climbing tension has turned into anger coordinated protests erupted across Sydney and the state organized and spread via social media. We did have 110 cases to 8 p.m. yesterday. Why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? There are reports of dozens of incidents of bias against Chinese Americans in this country. Your own aide, Secretary Azar, says he does not use this term. He says ethnicity does not cause the virus. Why do you keep using this? A lot of racist. It's not racist at all, no, not at all. It comes from China. Right, Welcome back to the Southern Centurion Podcast. Today we'll be tackling a big issue, the response to some of the great plagues and pandemics that have ravaged not only the modern world but also the ancient. I have with me a friend and colleague and owner of the Modern History HSC podcast, Blake. Welcome, Blake.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on, Steve. I'm excited to have a crack at this podcast for the first time.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, We could alternatively uh, call this podcast, I Told You I Was Sick. Do you know whose gravestone that, Tom? Uh,
1: no, I actually have actually no idea.
0: <laughs> uh, comedian from quite some time ago, Spike Milligan. Very, very funny guy. Uh, that was his uh, contribution to the world. I told you I was sick. <laughs>
1: Told you I was sick and you didn't listen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. (laughs) All right, so today we've chosen some of the more well-known epidemics. The ancient ones are probably more well-known to me than you. Me being the ancient guy and you being that uh, fringe history, modern, whatever they call it. Well, the
1: best part. The best part of history. (laughs) The last hundred years, that actually makes sense.
0: Ah, Nazis and Vietnam War. No one cares about that stuff anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, debatable. Anyway, let's keep going. (laughs)
0: All right, so we've got the Antonine Plague, the Black Death, and they're the two that we'll be covering in episode one. And then we'll go into the Spanish flu and COVID-19 for the second one. So a bit of a disclaimer here, we're in no way criticising our current government strategies that are in place. Uh, We're very satisfied uh, as, I suppose, academics ourselves and and observers that um, our governments have done a pretty good job of uh, getting our people vaccinated, and uh, also saving a lot of lives. So this most certainly isn't that, but we are going to have a bit of a a critical look at uh, some of the government and especially religious responses to some of these uh, pandemics or epidemics that have popped up over the centuries. So let's have a look at the Antonine Plague. What do you know about that one, Blake?
1: I know that that this is a plague that happens within Rome. Yep. Uh, and and it contributes to the fall of the Roman Empire as well that's about the extent of like my signpost for thinking about the plague and its impact
0: yep well you're spot on there uh, we're in a, in a situation where Rome is expanding its borders its emperors are. Uh, asked to be expansionist, then all of a sudden we get this massive plague comes in that wipes out literally millions of people, It punches big holes all through their legions, and in particular the borders with the Germanic region, uh, which was some of their, their main, um, uh, I suppose, combatants for, for centuries at a time. And they eventually managed to get their way into Rome just because Rome couldn't fill the, uh, the armies. So let's have a look at a bit of a background for the Antonine Plague. In 165 Common Era, now throughout this, especially when we talk about the religious entities, we may use words like cults and paganism, and that's just the words that were going around at the time. And if you weren't practicing Roman religion, uh, you were seen as a cult. So Christianity was seen as a cult back then. So these are ancient terms that we're going to be using. So 165 CE, uh, Roman soldiers are campaigning in the East. And rumors started to circulate about this illness that was spreading around uh, places like Syria, China, India. And then when the campaigns are over, the Roman soldiers returned. And unfortunately, some of those brought this new illness with them. So it's also known as the Plague of Gallen after a Greek physician, and it swept the empire from 165 to 180 common era, and then popped up again in the 200s, so about 251 to 266. So the um, symptoms. Victims were known to endure fever, chills, upset stomach and diarrhoea that turned from red to black over the course of a week. They also developed horrible black pox over their bodies, both inside and out, that scabbed over and left disfiguring scars. So even if you survive this, there were lingering impacts and we're, we're currently seeing that with COVID. I was watching a news report last night of some people who had it 18 months ago and they're still having a lingering effects from it. So victims suffered in this way for two or even three weeks before the illness finally abated, and they estimate about 10% of the 75 million people living in the Roman Empire never fully recovered. So that, that's a massive, massive figure. I suppose in these days, 75 million is only 10% of uh, the entire world population. Whereas back then they're looking at ten percent of their whole population. Um, if we lost seventy-five million people from COVID today, would we be feeling the same?
1: Oh, I, we talk about like chaos and like the chaos that like perhaps maybe COVID has brought, or the Spanish flu and the chaos that that brought. Like seventy-five million people—that's a I like to always think about these large numbers in terms of Australia when I'm mm. explaining it to kids. So Australia's population, 26 million, 75. So you've got roughly around about maybe three or three and a bit Australia's just, just wiped out. So, mm. yeah, that's hugely devastating. And, yeah, to have those lingering effects um, is going to perhaps maybe scar the empire Um, for the next couple of decades to come.
0: And you're right there. We're not just talking about uh, a class type plague where we know the Romans uh, were through the hierarchy with the emperor up the top and they've got the plebs and the slaves all the way down the bottom. This isn't an illness, that just affects the slaves. And we know about one third of Roman population when I was at its height were slaves. Uh, So let's just say it was just affecting the slaves and we lost, Uh, 75% of our slaves? What sort of impact economically, uh, trade, political, what sort of impacts would that have on a society?
1: Well, first of all, I'm definitely a pleb and proud proud to be a pleb, (laughs) uh, even in today's age. Um, But yeah, so you're taking like, uh, it's a bit dicey to compare slaves back in the Roman era to any other (laughs) class of people that are today, but it's your people who are doing like your manual labor work and stuff today. So even like um, like delivery drivers at the moment, like they're just getting absolutely smashed. Supply chains are just getting absolutely crippled and backed up to the hilt. Um, just about anything. Like I tried to order a, uh, like a fold-out bed the other day because we were doing some refurbishing as everybody else is doing, doing mm. their ISO projects. There's like an eight-week lead time to get something from fantastic furniture. Like, I don't yep. think people realize the backups that are actually happening and it is going to be a long time. And I could just imagine in the Roman world where you have the empire really, like there's no industrial revolution, there's no electricity, there's no coal or anything like that um, being used for industry or mechanization. That you take away the brute force that is running the empire, like it's going to grind to a halt.
0: Most definitely. About 200 years before this, um, around the time of Tiberius Gracchus, might have been a little bit over 200 years, they had a problem where they were bringing back that many slaves uh, when the soldiers were retiring from the legions, uh, going back onto their farms. They lost their farms because farm, um, all of the slave labor was running the place. So if you went back to a paid employment, you weren't making any money because of the amount of slaves there. Um, But they've set up a situation where, um, apart from a few slave revolts like Spartacus, their whole economy was based on their slaves. So how do they fill these gaps? And and let's not just talk about slaves either. If we start to lose people from uh, the government, the, the equestrian order in Rome, which was like the Knights today, so a lot of nobles and senators uh had jobs Uh, the nobles could run businesses what how do we fill these gaps when these people are just dying
1: well i think that it really um adds a lot of social mobility perhaps to rome that didn't exist before i know we're going to talk about the black death as well and one of the things for the black death is that it completely shakes up feudalism that you have these set class structures and I imagine that this is the case in Rome, that it's like, you know, people are just being born. There's a constant birth rate. There's a constant death rate and the competition to move around on the social ladder is pretty stiff. As Soon as you start, you know, knocking out 75 million people, like now the people who are left have a lot more, a lot more clout just simply because they're all that. Uh, they're they're all that's left. So I imagine that's what happens in Rome, and it really kind of shakes up their whole class structure. Would is that correct?
0: Oh, most definitely. Um, you've got people that are going to be very worried, especially your your principate, so your, your your emperor class, uh, all the families. Like, are they? Going to pick up a shovel one day and go into the fields and start to toil away because they've run out of slice. And uh, we're not on the Black Death yet, but there's actually a very, very good skit by Horrible Histories where they address the, the Black Death. And it's got the noble comes out and uh, he's telling his, his uh, serfs uh, in the feudal, medieval feudal system to work harder because the other serfs are dropping dead all around him. <laughs> and it's quite humorous. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely a situation that they find themselves in. And to get slaves, there was a number of different sources to get slaves, but one of the main ones was through uh, military takeover of place. So we could always just go and conquer someone else and take more slaves, but our armies are dying as well. They were not immune from the plague it was running rampant through them and as we discussed before the germanic border which uh germany was never conquered by the romans even though they had a few forays into the place this is one of the greatest threats that that rome has to face and it wasn't long after this where they came knocking on the front doors of rome no
1: yeah um have you got any information on perhaps the the um, upper class sort of like senate response to the plague so you got all these people trapped up in the city uh i think everybody who's listening to this is now familiar with social distancing hygiene um the response to the vaccine i imagine um the majority if not all of those things um were not common practice or were not a response how were they like responding to this steve
0: oh look the the Emperor uh, Aurelius had a fantastic response. I'll just bring across to a primary source, we've got here Cassius Dio. He was living in Rome at the time, and he was estimating 2,000 people a, a day just in the city of Rome were dying. Uh, so it was taking on all comers, every class of life. And the Emperor Marcus Aurelius, um, his response, I suppose it was, not to put too much light on the subject, there's a bit of social distancing, um, just persecuted and killed the Christians.
1: Yeah, find a scapegoat.
0: (laughs) So when we look at the religious systems of those times, we had our polytheistic and monotheistic cults and the Romans practiced polytheism, so the worship of many gods, including the dead emperors. Most of those were deified, so they were worshipped as well. And we've got this emerging religion uh, through Christianity and uh, and Judaism, where they worship only one God. Uh, they weren't worshiping the emperor, which was always a problem. So they've been persecuted before by emperors such as Nero. But now the the leading classes and the religious classes themselves. So you've got a position there called the Pontifus Maximus, which today is your Pope, uh, so that Titles has been around for a couple of thousand years now they're very very powerful in that position so as a, a leading religious figures they start to look at the christians and say well oh, hang on we're worshiping our gods we're doing all the right things and our gods are happy with us you guys aren't doing that so you've angered our gods right? you guys have brought yeah. this plague <laughs> upon the people so we need to persecute you
1: yeah you and what would that persecution kind of involve it's not like a Like a slap on the wrist or anything? Is it like exile, executions, or like people rip on, everybody rips on the government response here today? But I hope one of the things that the listeners maybe pick up on is you're probably what in, like, if you're going to be in a pandemic, this is probably the best response (laughs) that humanity's had (laughs) to date. (laughs) You do not want to be in the Antonine Plague, you do not want to be during the Black Death. Yeah. Spanish flu, like, is, yeah, it just, you're probably in the best one. Count yourself lucky and the next one's probably going to be even better.
0: Well, um, be like, but anyway, be like, I'm just well,
1: hypothesizing.
0: It'd be like them saying, well, let's persecute the newsreaders because they're the ones talking about it. And if we could get them to stop talking about it, people will stop worrying about it. So let's persecute those guys.
1: Oh yeah, like Trump. Imagine, imagine if you had like a Trump figure back there. Oh, it's just gonna go away. It's like a magical dream. <laughs> Two weeks, kind of well, virus.
0: The, the um the ironic thing about this was uh, Christianity was trying to get a foothold in the empire, and it was still uh, about 120 years after uh, the first. Uh, nine plague raced through the place uh, they were trying to get a foothold um, it was growing but it was still seen as a bit of a um, a fringe cult that was to be persecuted when the the Roman um, pagans uh, when they saw the plague was coming they ran away so, so we don't want anything to do with it, we're going to go to the countryside, we'll go to our manors, we'll try and avoid this. Whereas the Christians, because of their um, ethics and and their code at the time, they actually stayed around in the cities to help the people out who are suffering from it. And in a way, the, the irony of it all, even though the, the Roman uh, worshippers of their gods thought that the Christians were angering their gods, the Christians were actually gaining more support through the people because they were helping them out.
1: I- yeah it's quite interesting that like these pandemics that we're talking about are almost like natural clearing events or like Mm. that there might be just like a build-up of such established social norms or clutter or corruption or whatever it is and just it's almost like a bushfire that comes along and just shakes everything up. It shakes everything up. It's like humanity just can't deal with the chaos and something new always seems to come out from it. And, I, and in this case, it's um, adding so much fragility to the Roman Empire and creating a fringe religion into the world's most dominant religion today.
0: Exactly right, yeah. Yeah, there's always a flow and effect and it, it depends on where your government's at and how happy the people are as to how much social change uh, will come about as a result of something like this. So We've got governments in the world now who are rebelling uh, against our, anyone's responses to the current COVID-19 situation. Uh, I don't know if any of those will actually involve a government being overthrown, but you've always got a lot of people talking in the background how about how things should have been done or um, complete lack of medical experience uh, from most of these people, but uh, they're going on about the government's doing the wrong thing. They're taking our freedoms away, that sort of stuff. Whereas like you said, the fragility of the Roman government at the time, because so many people were dying, uh, social change was inevitable.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that there's clear evidence for that, that the there must've been huge social gains for people who just weren't the roman elite for then for the next i might get my dates wrong but perhaps within the next century for then an emperor to then adopt christianity it's just yes. i don't really think that if there hadn't been a if there hadn't been a pandemic if there hadn't been a cleansing event that you things just continue on as normal
0: yeah that's exactly right 100% 100% so the timing can be questioned, uh, it, the Romans are obviously happy with what they were doing at the time, uh, but it did put them backwards. So if we want to look at medical practices, there's not a lot known, uh, certainly no effective remedies. The people back in those days were largely relying on herbal remedies. They did have some far-fetched ideas about different things that could work on people, but by and large, nothing was effective enough um, immunization-wise against the plague.
1: Yeah. So, and like medical practices at this point, um, we were talking about a little bit before that the majority of like Roman expertise when it comes to like understanding the body is coming from the Greeks um, and that they're not actually like they don't autopsy bodies and they're not perhaps Mm. maybe trying to understand it. So they're, they're really handicapped in this situation.
0: Yeah. The Romans were excellent at their battlefield medicine. They could take off an arm or a leg and, and get the person uh, reasonably mobile. After a while, they knew what was going to be fatal, but when it came to actual illnesses. And we're living in a, an area and an era where things like malaria are constants anyway. And they estimate for Rome to have kept the running population of a million people, every um, available Roman female would have had to have produced 10 kids. So you're looking at three or four dying in childbirth, only a couple getting past the age of five and then then 10, whatever, just to maintain that population because the amount of illnesses and fevers and infections and stuff that were spreading around at the time that, uh, that weren't treatable. And Rome was pretty much a swamp only until a uh, couple of hundred years ago where they started to tidy it up and reduce the amount of malaria that was being spread. So death is inevitable for all of us, but uh, back in the ancient world, it was well and truly inevitable. And you're looking at a um, median lifespan of around 30 years of age for most people.
1: Yeah, so there you go, guys. When you're visiting Italy, you're you're going to one of the world's most famous swamps.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've been to Italy. I've been to Rome. It is beautiful. Absolutely amazing place. Eternal city. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, shift our focus a little bit to our Black Death. So just to give... A bit of a a breakdown with this one. We're looking at the 1300s now, so the 14th century. We're going to go forward about 1200 years and we're into our medieval Nothing happened, Steve. Nothing Nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going from the 19th century, Blake. That's your opportunity a bit later on. (laughs) This is still back in the olden days, as we call them. But so uh, very, very similar to the Antonine plague stories started to reach Western Europe of an affliction, working its way from the east. In the 1340s, the plague was already ravaging China, India, Persia, Syria and Egypt. Just to give a bit of background on the mobility of this, uh, the Persian Empire was around, um, uh, wiped out by Alexander the Great. And we're looking at about uh, 300 BCE when that happened. But it, in the time of the Persians, they had their golden road, which stretched for most of their empire. It was great for moving messages up and down, moving their, their soldiers' trade, etc. And that eventually became part of the Silk Road, which went all the way across to China. So for, we're looking at 2,000 years, the Silk Road was in effect. And then we're going to have shipping as well throughout the medieval times. So if something happens over in the East, um, if, if someone's sick, By the time they got all the way back over to Italy, they'd probably be either dead or cured from it, but then all of a sudden we bring in shipping and that's going to spread things a lot more easily around the area. So in October 1347, 12 ships from the Black Sea docked at Messina in Sicily. Uh, Most of the sailors were dead. The living were covered in black boils at ooze Pus over the next five years, 20 million people would die in Europe alone, approximately one-third of their population.
1: Yeah, again, you just got to think, like, one-third, that's just, like, that's incredibly scarring on just, like, a on a continent or on Europe um, as a whole, that you've just got, like, so much chaos that you can only expect that there's just going to be an incredible amount of change that's happening. And we've talked about it a little bit before that your established class is a feudal class. So after the end of the Roman empire falls apart, you've got perhaps these, uh, leaders of legions who are now without like a central command, they consolidate into like these small, like little kingdoms or fiefdoms that they're running. Um, there has not been any improvement i don't think well there's probably been a little bit of improvement like it's it's different like there's a bit of give and take but there hasn't been huge strides in terms of hygiene practices improving um medical understanding improving because just like the romans i think the catholics um the understanding of diseases is still linked to like morals um would that be correct steve
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And we're looking at an area here where it was safer to drink beer or wine rather than the water, because at least it had gone through some sort of process that would have got some rid of some of the nasties in it. Um, but we've got to remember, these are the people that also gave us the term blowing smoke up your ass.
1: Oh, yeah, I like this story. You keep going, Steve. <laughs> Tell us about
0: this. So if you're a victim of drowning, they literally roll you over onto your stomach, get a pipe out, light it up and stick it up your rectum and blow smoke up your bum.
1: So
0: I don't know where the medical science comes from. Maybe they did it once and someone's recovered from it and it's become general practice. But uh, looking at the current methods of CPR that we learn, uh, St. John's and the research that everyone puts into it, I really doubt its effectiveness in for any medical condition whatsoever.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not going to say I'm going to give it a go. Um, <laughs> plus, like, um, yeah... <laughs> Your people who are um what's this are like your medical physicians during this time, that's not technically like a profession. So your barbers mm. um in your towns, they're doubling as your medical physicians. So if they want a little bit of extra cash on the side, they'll go around and they'll help with like your like your bloodletting or um removing of stuff from your body and whatnot. Because um good quality knives are you know quite expensive and not everybody can have them it's not mass produced and the barber has those sorts of things and if you can't afford the barber you find an old lady or like an old witch or something like that and then she'll have some a whole concoction of you know lovely things that you can have um leeches is probably perhaps the most um practical one of those because they're actually sucking out the blood but some of the other things I've seen is that just as daft as the smoke up your ass.
0: Oh, look, well and truly. And I've got a list of some of the things here. And you mentioned bloodletting, lancing boils. So we lance a boil, pop the boil, and now we've got an open wound, which is going to be open to infection. Um, superstitious practices such as burning aromatic herbs, bathing in rose water or vinegar. And we've also got that iconic image of the Black Plague masks, And the Mm. whole uh, idea of those was the nose of it was quite long. And in the end of it, they had all these herbs and spices and stuff. Uh, Then you you had the mask covering your face. So they were wearing masks, uh, but it was supposed to not only kill the smell, but also keep the virus out uh, because it was airborne as well. And uh, I think its effectiveness was quite low.
1: Yeah. And it was like more around this idea that they were trying to, again, trying to put two and two together that, it's like oh it's the smell like so if you get like a bad smell goes with things that are rotten so that's about probably the extent of what they're thinking about it or what they can physically understand about it so if you can filter the smell and make it smell good then you're not going to catch this particular disease um yeah it and the response isn't isn't great is it that we have the governments of these places in Europe, they're pulling a Roman upper class, sort of swifty. They're all leaving to the countryside again. It seems to be the go-to. Even like like you and me, Steve, we're out in the country. It always feels like it's the least affected for these types of things. That's obviously because of population density is just so much less. But if you're rich and well-to-do, you're off to the country, the plebs and the serfs, they're locked up in the cities to fend for themselves and it's probably just hell for them. Hey. Oh,
0: most definitely. And this is where the terms bring out your dead come from. We've got people who've had the plague, they've survived it and basically couldn't get it again. So they'd have the wagons and they'd walk up and down the streets all day. They'd identify the houses with dead people in them. They'd mark them off. Uh, They get the people who are able to bring out their dead relatives, stick them on the wagon uh, they'd all be taken out and burnt. It would have been a, a horrendous time. But, but an a interesting observation there, uh, the barber surgeons that they used, at least they could get a haircut. In our current <laughs> lockdown, we yeah. can't go and get a haircut.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think I've seen a video of like bringing out your dead, and I think it's historically accurate. You could dump off your mother-in-law if you didn't like her either. Is that right, Steve?
0: Yeah, that was a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> historically but- accurate.
0: Let's uh, look at the religious response to this. And not surprisingly, it's very similar to what the Romans had. So because they didn't understand the biology of the disease, many people believed that the Black Death was a kind of divine punishment. So we don't know what's Mm. going on in the world. Our science is uh, slowly making its way. We've got to remember people that uh, go along the science path for at least a thousand years prior to this were persecuted because it was uh, anti-religion and heresy, what they were sprouting. So let's not listen to the people who might know something and we'll just come up with a, a godlike response to it. So retribution for sins against God, for offenses such as greed, blasphemy, heresy, fornication, and worldliness. So we're doing all these things and the gods are angry. So instead of having our biblical... Wait a minute, what again, was the
1: last one? Worldliness. Worldliness. So maybe What's
0: that moving, mean? Maybe moving out of your lane a little bit too much. <laughs> oh, okay. Thinking you're a bit,
1: you're, you're, you know, you're puffing yourself up a bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rightio.
0: <laughs> you're from Germany, stay in Germany. You don't go wandering around the world. Uh, yeah. So by that logic, the only way to overcome the plague was to win God's forgiveness. And how do we do that, Blake?
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. Pay him, pay a priest. Kill
0: the heretic, oh, fight. We oh, kill the, the heretic, yes, is crusades. This is this is the crusades, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, between 1348 and 1349, thousands
1: of Jews were massacred, yeah, scapegoats number two, Like
0: oh, exactly right.
1: <sighs> yeah, anyway, it's still happening, it happens in all of them. It's again, it's just chaos can't make sense of what's going on or like I, I remember watching a video when it comes to like human psychology around like and they were focusing on the moon landing and I, I, I promise this makes a point that like how can you still have people who still believe that the moon landing was faked when there's an overwhelming like cache of evidence to suggest otherwise and tests that you can conduct yourself personally to verify. And it just has to do with like the human brain and the way that humans have evolved has to deal with, we're very, very good at pattern recognition. So Mm. there has to be a cause and there has to be an effect. And when we don't have perhaps say a big cause or a big conspiracy for a large effect or a large outcome, Like, we really struggle with it. And unless Mm. you do the due diligence to prove it to yourself beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's like people get scared that it's random. Mm. You know what I mean? That it's like, oh, it's just like it has to be this bigger thing, or it has to be, you know, a religion, or it has to be punishment, or it has to be these group of people. It can't just be random nature or the fact that we're not in control. I thought that was a really interesting episode, and I think it was a perhaps a. I, I think it's perhaps a good argument to suggest that we're talking about responses for pandemics. That because of human nature, it's always going to be an issue. Like, and it's probably something that you could just bank on and predict that if another one comes, um, and I know we're still in one now, but if another one comes of another change or a degree. We're not going to learn our lessons.
0: No, no, you're, you're fully right there. And people can't get their heads around it. I remember uh, just a bit of a weird example here. I used to be a police officer. And when I was in Sydney, we had a really bad motor vehicle accident down on a road up at um, Park Lee in uh, Western Sydney. And the council came along because it was going to take hours for this to clear. It's at night time. And they put barricades all the way across the road. So you couldn't go down this road. It was about, I think it was a four-lane road. And we had a police car sitting there and we had our lights rotating. And my partner and I were just basically leaning against a car for a while because there's nothing we could do with it. the road barricaded off. This bloke drives up to the barricade, hops out of his car, lifts the barricade out of the road, <laughs> hops in his car it's and like, goes, What are you doing? Trip. So we had to go. I was like, mate, what are you doing? Well, because like you said, the patterns of behaviour, he would drive down that road every single day to go home. And yep. he wasn't going to let any sort of obstacle stand in his way. He wasn't prepared to think outside the square. What are these barricades doing here? Uh, it's just a minor inconvenience. So I'm just going to go through. It's, it's like with uh, the human response, like you're saying, we're used to doing the same thing each and every day. And now all of a sudden they say, look, for your own benefit, and we'll discuss this more when we get on the COVID, um, stay at home for a couple of weeks. Let's beat this thing. Then we can go back to our lifestyle. Everyone's like, oh, that barricade right in front of me. I don't like it. That's not what I'm used to doing. Um, there's, who, who's behind this? Yeah. Oh, there's got to be some sort of conspiracy that's put us in this situation where I've got to move a barricade to drive down that road that I've driven down every single day for the last 10 years.
1: Yeah. And perhaps maybe like the calling out of, so again, calling out the Christians or like calling out the, calling out the Jews, like perhaps like... It's like the whole pandemic sort of thing is that there's always something where we're looking for, we're looking for a conspiracy or we're yeah. looking for like, looking for something that's not there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it when really the response perhaps maybe starting at the Spanish flu, for example, which is the social distancing and all those sorts of things we're going to say for the second ep, which really isn't happening in these first two pandemics yep. um is just the way it's to go the way it has to go um it's not easy it's not easy it's a lot no, easier to not. say hey it's a jews fault or hey it's a christian's fault or it's an anti-vaxxers fault or any other minority group because it mm-hmm. makes you feel better Um, And I'm sure that that's just a way a lot of people wanted to default to as their response.
0: I agree. I fully agree. All right. I think that's uh, something we'll cover in our episode two, which is going to go into the Spanish flu and our COVID-19. So just as a bit of footnote for our two plagues that we've covered today, the Antonine and the Black Death, they basically just went by the by. Uh, They faded off into obscurity, Uh, the mobility, Well, of the illnesses changed as uh, people weren't vaccinated, obviously, but people who'd survived it weren't really getting it again. Uh, It was falling on those populations and had nowhere to go. Uh, When it moved into places like Russia, especially the Black Death, the people lived so far apart and were so cold, uh, it eventually just um, ended. But we do have a bit of a footnote. One to 3,000 people are diagnosed with the plague. In today's uh, world, and the versions that they get, they do have uh, medication or antibiotics, whatever that can treat those. So it's interesting that's still around today, but it's certainly what we've got going around today seems to be a lot more dangerous, uh, even though we we seem to be a lot more effective at dealing with it. Uh, Steve, some, can I some, just
1: can I yep. just add that even the Black Death couldn't defeat Russia in the winter. <laughs>
0: Neither could Napoleon. <laughs> yep, and
1: neither could the Nazis. Neither like, could the Nazis. There you go. It stands out. Um, it's just adding to the tally. Never thought about that before, but you just can't take Russia in the winter.
0: No, you cannot. No, yep. you cannot. But, Sorry. but here's an interesting <laughs> footnote as well. The term quarantine is believed to have come from the Black Death, where the Spanish kept people on ships for periods of 30 days and then 40 days, um... Uh, And it was referred to as a quarantine. Uh, So if you survived after those 40 days, you could come ashore. So we are getting some social isolation policies popping up around this time.
1: So hotel quarantine today is not quarantine by the original word.
0: No, it's not. But hotel yeah. quarantine, where you had, uh, you have a trolley rocking up with your breakfast and lunch every day, and these guys are stuck on a ship. I think I'd take hotel quarantine today for <laughs> two weeks, than sitting yep, on a ship exactly. in the Spanish Harbor, drinking uh, skanky water and having to eat lime uh, to try and stop all your teeth from falling out.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh... All right, Blake. We might uh, leave episode one there. I think and. We will meet at another time to go into episode two.
1: Cool. Looking forward to it.
0: All right, mate. See ya. See ya.